Well, good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. It is so good to have you guys with us today in worship. And this is what we do. We worship God. And I was so excited when we watched the video this morning of David Platt. And he used that word we've been talking about for last week and this week. That great word, generosity. Generosity. And I was thrilled. I'm telling you, I'm excited about the opportunities for Lottie Moon. And our opportunities to be generous with that. You know, um, at Jane's funeral on Wednesday... We kind of took Proverbs 31 and used that as the outline for her life. And uh, one of the things I said there is in, in one of the humorous things that I said, it won't come across humorous today, but it did then, was that, you know, her and Jane and Christine love to travel. Well, Jane and Mark love to travel. I think sometimes Christine got drug along um, sometimes on those journeys. And, and they were going, I think it was, it was the trip to Colonial Williamsburg the week after Christmas. And I think Christine said something like this. She said, is this another one of those historical trips? And that day I said, I don't know about historical, but it was hysterical, I'm sure. And, and you know, she, what she was saying was is that, you know, history trips are probably not as much fun as Disney World. And so she wanted to know, was it another one of those? Well, you might be here today and you're going, okay, two weeks in a row and we're talking about generosity. Dwayne, is this one of those five or six week series? Good news. No. As a matter of fact, it's a two weeker. It's, it's kind of like, like one of my short sermons. They're kind of rare. And so is a two-week sermon series, all right? It's kind of rare. But I'm excited about it because I really honestly believe it is so crucial in who we are both individually and as um, a church. It is why we do what we do, how we do what we do. Well, in 1967, something happened in Pittsburgh. And what happened in Pittsburgh was McDonald's released on a trial basis the Big Mac. Yeah, the Big Mac. In 1967, 1968, you could buy a Big Mac for 49 cents, which happened to be the same price of the Whopper. I remember personally eating 49-cent Whoppers. It was a great thing. Well, anyway, so it came out, and it was cruising along. And in 1974, they decided they needed a new ad campaign to promote the sandwich. And so it came out like this. Two all-beef patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed, a bun. And you know what's funny is, is that we still, those of us who are old enough, remember so well that jingle for so long ago. It had two all-beef patties. It had the special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on that sesame seed bun. But what made the Big Mac, the Big Mac was the special sauce. And by the way, I just happen to have the ingredients to the special sauce. It turns out they're readily available on the internet. In case you want to go home and have a homemade Big Mac, you need, and I don't know the proportion amounts, um, I would guess a, probably about a fourth of a cup of mayonnaise, uh, two tablespoons of sweet pickle relish, a good squirt of yellow mustard, and then a, about a, oh, let's go a teaspoonful of vinegar, a dash of garlic powder, a dash of onion powder, and a dash of paprika, and you whisk it together, and voila, you have the special 
sauce. And I still believe, and I used this term I think last week, is I really believe that generosity is the special sauce of the church. I think generosity is the special sauce of the church. It's what makes, you know, if you take a Big Mac and you go ahead and have your two all beef patties, lettuce, cheese, pickled onions on a sesame seed bun, you have a double hamburger is the special sauce that makes it a Big Mac. And if you take generosity out of the church, and if you take generosity out of the life of the believer, I'm not sure what you've got, but you don't have what God intended for the church or the believer to be. It takes both of them. So you might ask yourself then, and by the way, I, I was amazed at this. Did you know a Big Mac, now I'm going to say this in context, but did you know a Big Mac only, 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 only has 540 calories? Now that's not bad. I tell you what, you before you, didn't you hate it when they put all those calorie information on the menus? I mean, you open the menu and you're fixing to order something, you see it has 1,050 calories, and you, and you just kind of lose your appetite. Well, we'll do that. Go ahead, and look, um, go ahead and look at the menu next time you go to one of these restaurants, and look how many calories. So trust me, 540 calories is a bargain in the, fa- in the, in the diet world. That's not bad. And, 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 it only has 28 grams of fat. Now, I know, but I'm telling you, you eat just a little bit of something and you got 28 grams. So, shoot, man, that's a really good deal in the world of food. So, so we want to then, we want to make sure that we keep the special sauce because we don't want a double hamburger. We want a Big Mac. And we don't want to be just an organization that meets on Sunday. And we just don't want to be ordinary people. We want to be God's people. And when we gather together, God's church. And we want to be uh, that generous church that God wants us to be with that special sauce. Now, what does it look like, again, without the special sauce? It becomes ordinary and even can become something negative. I don't remember my exact words last week, but I said something I thought was pretty profound. Is, is that the church is never stronger when it's generous, and the church is never weaker when it's being selfish. The church is never stronger when it's being generous, and the church is never weaker and in greater danger when it's selfish. Because when we're being generous, the picture, the focus is on others and on God, and when we're being selfish, okay, it's the focus on us, and it's a dangerous place to be. You might say, well, Dwayne, what does that look like? Well, To some degree, it looks like a fella that we like to watch on our televisions at Christmas time. Patty, can you show up there our little video today that shows a guy that maybe doesn't have the secret sauce? Every Who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Ah, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. 
But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating the Who's. Ah, that's exactly right. See, when we're lacking a special sauce, we become something that we don't want to be, and certainly God doesn't want us to be. The church becomes something that we don't want to be, and individually, without generosity, we become people that we don't want to be. I don't know if it was his shoes. Well, I do know, actually. I, you know, they say it was his shoes or his head was not screwed on right. But really, his heart was two sizes too small. And that's the central topic of what we want to talk about today. But before we do that, and the, and the computer guys don't know this, but we want to look at another story in the Bible because Jesus tells a parable about a grinchy kind of guy. And it's very revealing to what we want to talk about in the area of generosity. And we find it in Luke chapter 12, verse number 15. And guys, you can't get it. That's fine. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. It's a great story that Jesus tells. And it goes something like this. You know, the Bible, it it starts out with a guy shows up and he is all worked up. And he's all worked up because his big brother has not yet shared the inheritance with him. So he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, would you please make my brother give me my part of the inheritance? And as a result of that, Jesus says these words. He says in verse 15 of Luke chapter 12, he then told them, watch out, And be on guard against all greed. Now, I promise you, when we are being greedy, when we're being selfish, we are not being generous. Let me say that again. When we are, when we are being greedy, when we're being selfish, I promise you, we are not being generous. And it's amazing to me. I thought about this. If you remember these words, watch out and be on guard. It's amazing. Those are the same, almost exact same words that Peter used this when he writes about our adversary, the devil. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about seeking whom he may devour. Isn't it interesting that, that when Jesus talks about greed, okay, he uses the same words as Peter does about the adversary? How about that? So, so these are strong words. Watch out and be on guard against all greed, against all selfishness, against not being generous. Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, Jesus is saying the amount of our stuff does not make our life purposeful. The, the amount of our stuff does not make our life fulfilling. I mean, there are so many people, especially in in our Western culture, there are so many people who have so much stuff, and yet they're so miserable. We, We heard the story about Hank Williams, what, about three weeks ago, when we talked about your cheating heart. And how, how he had turned to drugs and alcohol and ultimately died at, at what, 29 or 30 years old. And, and it's just one story after another of people who seem to have it all, but then turn around and have nothing. Have nothing. So Jesus says, be so careful because, be careful of this thing called greed. Be careful of not being generous, if you want to put it that way, because your stuff does not make your life purposeful. Well, then he goes down, verse number 16 says this. So he told them a story. He told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's not a thing. This, this farmer had a grand year, okay? And so his land was very, very productive. And, and then it goes on and says, He thought to himself, 
What shall I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? So the man is faced with a dilemma. He has more crops than he has barns. And so he asks himself, what shall I do with this? And again, that's a very good question. Um, again, because I'm such an expert at farming, I know that when you get your, your beans or your corn in or whatever it is you have to be harvesting, those are the two primary ones in our area, you normally take those beans or those corn and you put them in a silo for a couple reasons. One, you might be waiting for the price to be going up. Or two, the market simply couldn't handle the glut at that time of, of the harvest. And so they store it until there's a short, a little more of a shortage. And the price, of course, would go up accordingly. So he's saying, that's a good question. What shall I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? And this isn't a bad question. He said, or statement. He says in verse 18, I will do this. He said, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Now. That in itself is not a bad deal. Have you, have you seen the commercials on television for Domino's Pizza? I, I was going to show it to you, but we had too many video stuff already. Um, but in, in these videos, this one girl says, you know, I took my, my life savings and built my Domino's store. And another guy says, I sold my dream house and built my Domino's store. And then there was one more, and I don't remember that particular one. And then it shows these people taking hammers and tearing their stores down. And, and they say something like this. They say, you know, we love what we do. We just don't love where we do it. And it goes on and says, we're building bigger and better stores. Now, again, probably the store they had was more than sufficient for the task, but they wanted bigger and better for the hopes of making more money. So, so the farmer is saying, I don't know what I'll do. And we see this. I often wonder, you'll see a beautiful building or a nice building torn down so they can build another building on top of that. So he says, I'm going to tear my barns down and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Again, still, that's not a very bad thing. It could be a good business decision. But then he gets in trouble. And sometimes that's when we get in trouble. When we have an excessive blessing, that's a good word. When we have an excessive blessing and we don't know what to do with it, we may put it temporarily in the bank. We may put it in a temporary CD until we determine what to do with that. That's not bad. But then here's what he says in verse 19. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. You have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Now, here's where he gets in trouble. And here's sometimes when we get in trouble. He equates stuff to time. He equates stuff to time. In other words, he assumed because he had lots of stuff, he had lots of time. Because he had lots of stuff, he had lots of time. You have many goods, I said to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. And, and as a result of that, I'm going to take it easy because now I can. Before I had to work extra hard, now I don't because I have a lot of stuff. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to eat, drink, and enjoy myself. That's where we got in trouble. And never occurred, apparently, apparently, it never occurred to him to be generous to those around him. Because see, there was another option. There may have been a farmer down the road who had a really bad year. 
And he didn't have as much of a crop. He could have thought about sharing the crop. He could have perhaps, if it was during Christmas season, you know, hypothetically, if it was during the holiday season, he could have felt an urge of generosity and shared the, some of the profits with those who are less fortunate than himself. But none of that crossed his brain. Hey, 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 he could have even given some of it to Lottie Moon. He said, you know, I normally give this amount to Lottie Moon, but because I've had such a bumper crop this year, my income's up, I get an extra bonus, uh, something else, you know, I think I'll give extra to Lottie Moon. That didn't happen. Apparently, he just said, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Enter God. Enter God. Here's a guy who it's all about himself. And now God enters the picture. And, and, but God said to him, you fool. This night, this very night, your life is demanded of you. Hey, the, the, God tells the, the man... You think that because you have a lot of stuff, you have a large retirement, you have a well-planned retirement, that you're going to live long enough to enjoy all that retirement. And God says, that's foolish. Because I know something you don't know. And every once in a while, Judy walk in and say, I know something you don't know. And God said, I know something you don't know. Is that tonight, it's game over. Tonight, it's over. You may have lots of stuff for lots of years, but the problem is you don't have a lot of years. You've got a few hours. A few hours. And then Jesus in his story says, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The things that you've prepared, the crop that you so diligently have torn down Barns and made bigger barns, and you planned and planned the stuff you got. Who's going to have it now? And the answer is not him. Not him. The government was going to get a chunk. Uh, the temple was probably going to get a chunk because of the temple tax, not because he remembered them the will, but because of, of the tax. They were probably going to get their cut. But the bottom line is, he was going to get none of it. You know why? You can't take it with you like that. You can't take it with you like that. And when we exclude God from our plans and from our, our planning financially, this is what we end up with. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says. He said in verse number 21, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let me read it again. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this guy stored up treasures for himself, not knowing he was going to die, and chose not to be rich with God. Now, can I just say something? You're sitting there going, you're going to anyway, preacher. We know how this works. This has nothing to do, seriously, this two messages this week has nothing to do really with what you give to Dorisville. It has to do with what you do otherwhere, other places. Like, well, like Lottie Moon. When I say not giving to Dorisville, I'm talking about the budget offering. Although, by the way, do you understand that when you give a dollar, now if you designate your money, this doesn't happen. If you say, I want my money to go this account or that way or this way, you, you don't get a part of this. 
But if you choose to give to the budget offering, you understand that 13%, 13.5% goes to missions, 11.5% goes to the state and onward to the uh, Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong, all the work done around the world. 2% goes to fund our local missions here in Selene Baptist Association. Did you know that? Every dollar you give, 13.5 cents off the top, goes to mission work. So if you faithfully support the budget offerings of Dorisville, you need to know 13 and a half cents goes right off the top to mission work. And then a chunk of it, a chunk of it, of course, goes and funds the ministries that we have here. How cool is that? Did you know that? Did you know you're supporting missions? You say, well, I've just been writing a check because I'm supposed to write a check to Dorisville to pay the light bill. Yeah, yeah, that's great. But you're also supporting mission work. Every dollar you give that you don't designate. Now, if you put your money somewhere else, you don't get a part of that. It goes in some count and sits there. That's what happens there. How cool is that? How cool is that? So, so this guy, this guy, you know, God says, man, you store up treasures for yourself. That's how it's going to be. Okay? Kind of grinchy. Kind of grinchy. The Grinch didn't like the Who's having Christmas because he didn't like Christmas and he was determined to make it stop. Kind of grinchy. So the question is, how do we not become grinchy? How do we not become greedy? How do we become generous? And that's where we want to spend the rest of our time today. Now, this is where, Patty, I think we should be back on scriptures now. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 6. Now, the big picture is we're still talking about that offering for the suffering saints in Jerusalem. They're in a very difficult time and God, uh, that Paul is collecting an offering for the saints that are in Jerusalem. And so here's what Paul says. Remember this, so it's important. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Can I read that again to you? Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. In other words, you've got to sow seed and plant seed to get a sizable harvest. And I saw that and I instantly wrote down. I said, you know what? And any farmer will tell you this. Farming involves risk. And involves faith. It involves risk and faith. If you want to limit your risk, you plant a few seeds. The bottom line is, even if it's a bumper crop, you don't have much. So you choose then to take the risk and act in faith, planting a lot of seed, planning for and hoping for and praying for a generous harvest. And do you know that's true? It's true with God. It's true with our Christian faith that if we choose only to make a small investment in, our king, in the kingdom of God, then there's a small return for that. But as we are willing to surrender and give ourselves away to the kingdom, there's a larger harvest. You know, this fall, again, y'all don't know this, but I really am a professional farmer. Um, why are y'all laughing for? Yeah, seriously. No, no. Listen, I have ridden in a combine. Yeah. Yeah. About seven years ago, um, Danny Evans let me drive his his hail bale. I never can say this. Hey, Beller. You always want to cuss when you say that too fast. And so this fall, Danny called and said, hey, um, Chris is out, you know, combining. Would you like to go out there? And I couldn't make it that day, but I did make it another day. Gene and I went out there and we got to ride with Chris in the combine. It was 
really incredible thing. I mean, this machine does like 8,000 things at one time and just, you know, sucks the corn up, you know, and sucks it and puts it in the harper and, and shells it, all this stuff going on. That's why they call it a combine, see? I told you I knew about this farming thing. They call it a combine because it combines several things together into one machine. See, that's worth the price of coming to church today already. Y'all, y'all, you can get your union card now and be a farmer. You know all about it. Well, here's the deal. I learned two things that day that were very significant. And one is this. I asked Chris. I said, Chris, how many ears are on each stock? Now, I was thinking three, ten. That sounds good. Three, four, though. I was thinking at least four. Three, three if it's a bad day. Four if it's a really good day. You know how many ears are on each stock? One. One. I said, really? He said, yeah. And I said, well, why, why, is, why is that the case? He said, well, it's better to have one really good ear than three mediocre ears. It's better to have one ear with fat kernels and a lot of them to have three scrawny Little ears. And so what happens is when they, when they genetically do this, and what they do is they genetically engineer that stalk to have the one ear because the one plump ear is better than the three not plump ears. And then I asked this question. I, I, or he may have volunteered the information actually on this. He said, I said, well, I, actually I think I did say something like, well, how do you make money doing that? I mean, one ear per stalk. And then he told me. They plant, they do, they plant 32,000 seeds per acre. 32,000 seeds. So you could plant less seed and get the scrawny ears, or you make the investment and you put 32,000 kernels of corn in the ground, you fertilize it and all that. Them dudes come up on a good year and you get this really nice fat uh, cob of corn on there and that little duke the combine comes through and chews it up and shells it and you have a great harvest but a you have to have the right kind of seed genetically engineered to give you the one ear because that's best and two you got to have faith to plant thirty-two thousand seeds per acre so that is going to be true when we talk about our generosity first off there needs to be a quality in our generosity toward god a quality. Just like you have to have a quality seed, you've got to have quality in your giving. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 through 10, it says this. Honor the Lord. Now, remember what the guy with the barns do? Me. It's about me. What am I going to do with all this corn? Me, 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 me. And Proverbs comes along and says, Honor the Lord with your possessions. Well, how much of them? All of them. Because they all really belong to him. You know, the psalmist said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Honor the Lord with your possessions and, watch this, with the first produce of the entire harvest. So the quality is you give God the best, not the leftovers. Now, keep in mind, I'm not talking about paying Dwayne's salary at Dorsville. I'm talking about generosity and giving it away. Things that you give to and you give away so Dorsville can give it away. I I didn't check this number, and boy, I ought to be careful, and I'm going to try to be. I know in years past, it's not been uncommon for Dorsfield to give about a quarter of a million dollars away a year. 
a quarter of a million dollars a year. I, I don't know if we're that high now, but I'm pretty certain we're real close if we're not. So, so this is about you giving so we can join you in giving it away. That's what I'm talking about. We're not talking about putting it in the coffers. We're talking about giving it away. So honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, wait, Dwayne, we're back to that full barn thing. What's the difference? The difference is easy. The purpose of the full barns with the other guy was me, 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 my, my, mine, eat, drink, and be merry. You've got lots of time because you've got lots of stuff. The difference here is God says, if you'll trust me, I'm going to fill your barns up, not so you can consume it, but so you can distribute it. We are way too much hung up on consuming and not distributing. We are stewards not keepers and owners. We are stewards. We are managers of what God places in our hands, not necessarily owners of what God places in our hands. So we need to have quality, but we do need to have quantity also. Luke 6.37. Now, you're not going to see this right away, but hang with me. In Luke 6.37, judge not, and you will not be judged. That sounds good. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Then watch this. He sneaks it in on us. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. Will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back. To you, In other words, as much we are, as we are willing to give, God will put back in our laps. Not for the purpose of using for us, but to be distributors and stewards in giving away. Now, did you see something there, though? That, that part about good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use it, will be measured back to you. That's just not talking about giving. He's saying, when we are generous and not judging, people are going to be generous when it comes time to judge us or not judge us. Condemnation, if we're generous in not condemning people, then people will be generous in not condemning us. Forgiveness, when we are generous in our forgiving, people will be generous when we need forgiveness. And giving, yes. When we give then don't be surprised if God trusts you with more so you can give even more. So there's a quality and there's a quantity. There's a quality and there's a quantity. And God wants to trust us, but in order to trust us with more, we got to be faithful with what we've got. And it's not amounts. It's a heart of generosity. It's a heart that says, I'm willing to give from what? I have. And Paul is fixing to go right there. Look at this. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Now, someone's in there going, now that's what I'm talking about. My heart's been telling me that George Washington and offering plate once a month is just about right. 
Well, that's the problem, see. An unprepared heart has difficulty giving. An unprepared heart has difficulty giving like God wants us to give. So, we have to learn how to prepare our hearts for giving. If we're going to be able to say this verse, you must each decide in your heart how much to give, then how do we prepare our heart for giving? Because let's be honest, can we? It's the nature of us not to be generous. Our, our self, we're just not very generous. And you know, the heart's an amazing thing. Did you know that the heart is about the size of a man's fist? It weighs a little bit less than a pound. Check this out. I did the math. If your heart beats 78 to 80, 82 times a minute, which is pretty normal, your heart will beat 115,000 times a day. Someone say, Amen, God. He did a good job designing that dude. 115,000 times, not a year, every single day. And every single day, your heart pumps 2,000 gallons of blood. (laughs) Every day, coursing through your veins, is 2,000 gallons of blood. And see, I tell you that because the heart is amazing. But when Jesus, when we say, I want Jesus to come in my heart... It's not talking about that muscle. See, when used in scriptures, the heart is the core of who we are. You know, I, you know, oh, here goes. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And my sins, which for many are all torn apart since Jesus came into my heart since Jesus came into my heart since Jesus came into my heart floods of joy or my soul like the sea billows roll since Jesus came into my heart now you know he's not talking about the muscle there he's talking about the core of who you are so when you ask Jesus into your heart, and somebody was saying the other day on the internet, that was a bad terminology. No, not if you understand what the heart is. And, you know, I thought about this too. You know, I didn't, invo- I didn't invite Jesus into my world. He invited me into his. I didn't invite Jesus, hey, Jesus, come and be a part of my life. He invited me into his life. To his life. So, so here we are then. So, so we've got this thing with your heart, your heart, the core of who you are, uh, how you see the world, you know, what's important to you, what are you loyal to, what do you love? That's the heart issue. And we've got to prepare that part of us for giving. Because here's the deal. Now, I, I just want you to know, you've heard this scripture sometime in 2017. You're going to hear it again today, and you're going to hear it again in 2018. It's that important. Why? If it's talking about a muscle, it wouldn't be important. But because it's the core value of who we are, it's hugely important. Hugely important. Here's what Jeremiah says about the heart. Well, let me just give you my preface. An unprepared heart can't be trusted. An unprepared heart can't be trusted. Listen to what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. The heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things. If you ask an unprepared heart what to give, it won't be much. 
You can't always follow your heart. An unprepared heart you cannot follow. That's why so many Christians today are so comfortable with not being generous because they checked their heart and their heart said, keep it, baby. Keep it, baby. And they're listening to an unprepared heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? And the truth is we can't. You know, read Romans chapter 7. I do what I don't want to do. Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who can understand it? And here's what God says. I, the Lord, will search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. I am opposed to health and wealth gospel. And that is the concept that we ask God for whatever we want, and it's, if it's car, money, promotions, throw a little seed money somewhere and to some preacher's ministry, and in 10 days you'll get 1,000% back. I'm just opposed to that because I think it's wrong. I think it's lying. I think it's unscriptural. Just want you to know, that's your pastor. I'm speaking as your pastor. I'm just telling you, that's how I see it. But I do believe, verse number 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. God wants us to trust us with more. But in order for him to trust us with more, we got to be faithful with what he's already given us. It would make no sense for God to dump a boatload of stuff in our lives, money in our lives, if we cannot be trusted with what he's given us. That's what it says. I search the heart and, and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. God says your heart is not prepared and you're not prepared to handle what I'd like to place in your hands. And I don't want to give it to you just so you buy new cars and houses. And all that. There's nothing wrong with cars and houses. Nothing. You know, again, in 2 Timothy chapter, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says God's given us all things to richly enjoy. But he never intended for things to own us. He intended us to own things. So God would like to trust us more so we could give more and support the kingdom more. He would like to do that. Well, not only do we have an unreliable heart, we have a wandering heart. A wandering heart. Again, stay with me on this little longer scripture. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And, And that touched on this. Don't don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That was the girl with the make-a-wish. She said, I don't want to have a wish that's going to be temporal. I want a wish that's going to last forever. So so don't don't store yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, but, he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves can't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if we invest in things where moth and rust on this earth, that's where our heart's going to follow. If we invest in eternity, that's where our heart will follow. I see something strange every once in a while at the park. Y'all know I go walking five times a week. And a long time ago, I met a young, not a young lady, an older lady, 
in the park. And she has like five dogs. And she takes and walks a dog, then goes back and gets another dog. And Donnie, you've probably seen her around. I saw Donnie here somewhere. You know, you've probably saw, seen her around. And she's always walking this dog. Well, when she goes to the park, sometimes she just walks the streets. But when she goes to the park, I saw an amazing thing. Here's this big black dog. And here's this, this lady. And frankly, she's probably about my age. I don't know if that's old or not. But she, she's got this dog on a leash, and she's walking this dog. And three steps behind her is a cat. And it's not her cat. Don't y'all find that strange? We laugh about it. I say, how's your cat doing? I mean, listen, cats don't follow people, and cats don't follow dogs. So is anyone else wondering besides me, what's up with the cat? Does anybody want to know? Because I finally figured it out. I was walking in the park about two weeks ago, and this cat was eating cat food. And she was busily wrapping up a wrapper and putting it back in her purse. I said, I know why the cat follows you now. You feed it. The cat wasn't following her. The cat was following the food. That's what our heart does. Our heart will follow whatever we treasure. It'll be drawn to what we treasure. The song still goes, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We have a wondering heart. And Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's really key that we keep our focus on eternal things, not on local things. Because our heart is like a little puppy dog or like this cat, and it will go where the food is. And what you value, your heart's going to follow. What you value, your heart is going to follow. Some of us have given our hearts away, and we're not even aware of it. We wonder why we're not close to God like we used to be. And the reason why? We've moved our treasure. And hearts just naturally follow the treasure. So Jesus says, don't, don't lay up treasure here. Lay up your treasure there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, three things that we're done. I didn't even check the clock. I don't have a clock today, so I have no idea if we're on time or late. Three things. Dwayne, how can I further prepare my heart? How can I? My heart, my heart is desperately wicked on its own. It's, my heart is desperately wicked. My heart wants to wander. What can I do? All right, first thing is this. You need to issue an invitation. You need to issue an invitation. Listen to these words. They're from Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and see my concerns. You need, now listen, you need to tell God, God, I invite you to search me. Because my heart can't be trusted. In fact, God, can you just be honest with you? I'm not sure I can be trusted. But I know you can. I know you can. So would you search my heart and know my heart, test me, and see if there are any concerns? Verse 24. See if 
there is any offensive way in me. God, I, I give you permission. I invite you to come in and test my heart and check my heart out. And I want you to see if there's something offensive to you in my life. Is there a greed issue? It, is my life more about me than anyone else? Is my checkbook more about me? Is my giving about me? Test me and see. See if there's an offensive way. And then lead me in the way everlasting. See if there's an offensive way and then lead me away from that. Lead me into way everlasting. Secondly, this. We need to issue a call of protection. Again, this is a verse that I use so often and I will continue to use it because this is such a big deal. Because I'm not talking about a a pound organ beating in my chest, no matter how amazing it is. I'm talking about my core values. My core. Has anyone this year been challenged to violate your core values? Let me just tell you, you have. In the changing culture that we've had, some of you were challenged in the election. Some of you were challenged at work two weeks ago. And you were challenged to change your core values away from what thus saith the Lord. See, it does not matter, thus saith Dwayne. It doesn't matter, thus saith Brent or David. It doesn't matter, thus saith anyone. It does matter what thus saith the Lord. And we've been challenged in our core values. So we need to protect our hearts. Now, this is a wonderful verse. If you don't write anything else, write down the reference. Proverbs 4, 23. Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart above all else because out of it come the issues of life. Guard your heart above everything else because out of it come the issues of life. You want to know why it's important? You know where your heart's going? You know why it's important? You want to know where your heart's traveling and what it's seeking? Because that determines the issues of life. A wandering heart will cause you to violate what you know is right. It will cause you to leave your husband for another man. It will cause you to leave your wife for another woman. It will cause you to disobey your parents. It will cause you to, to slaughter your character. You've got to guard your heart above all else because out of it come the issues of life. Issue a call of protection. God, I want you to search my heart. I invite you to search my heart. And I want you to give me the wisdom to guard my heart above all else. Because God, I know it controls not only my generosity, but my values of who I am. And then we need to take action. And we're actually back in 2 Corinthians now for this one. Verse 9 and verse, chapter 9, verse 7. He says this. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Once we ask God to search our hearts, once we throw our protection up and we guard our heart, then we've got to be willing to act as God leads us. Not because we have to. Can I read it again? And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Let me give you two horrible motivators. Guilt and fear. Guilt and fear. Yeah, I, I could stand up here and beat the pulpit and say, y'all aren't giving like y'all to give. 
That's bunk. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You don't need some preacher to put you on a guilt trip. And the same bunk, I, I mentioned this last week, I think, the same bunk when we sit there and say, you know, you better give or God's going to smite you. You know, don't be surprised if you have four flat tires if you don't give. That's fear mongers. Junk. Junk. God says, don't give out of reluctance. Don't give out of pressure. Don't give out of fear. Don't give out of guilt. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Oh, would you like to know how you do that? You look at this. You look at this. Oh, how he loves us. You will not have to force me to buy my wife a Christmas gift. Why? I love her. And I can't begin to list the things she does for me. I do. I give because I love. We give because we live. We love. Over in 2 Corinthians Oh, it's, it's in 2 Corinthians in the earlier part where, where Paul says, You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he was rich and became poor for us. How can we not want to be generous for a Savior who allowed himself to be hung on a cross and gave his life that we could be forgiven? Amen? I mean, it's so much bigger than this church thing. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. So we need to act because God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when we're generous, not because we have to, not out of guilt, but because we want to. We just want to. And lastly, we've got to have a spirit of expectation. Invitation, protection, action, expectation. 2 Corinthians 9.8. And God will generously provide all you need. Then, Paul says, you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. You'll have what you need and left over to share. Well, Dwayne, do you believe that? Gosh, I do. I do. I, I've not said this in a while, but I might as well. You know, I, I'm one of those crazy people that believes that God blesses obedience. I mean, I don't earn his, I don't earn his approval uh, by, by obedience. I don't make him smile at me and he's mad at me if I don't. But I think God just blesses. So I'm walking in the building this morning and one of our guys says, Hey, I like your pants. I said, thanks. I said, you know, there's a story. I said, you know, I lost that weight and I had to buy pants. And I said, I went to Dillard's and I think these pants were $75, I believe. And Terry Guest called and said, hey, they're having that sale. So, dude, I got in the car. I get down there and these $75 dress pants were $12. And not just one pair, I think like five pair. I went from having no pants to having pants heaven. And I said, it gets better than that. They had these docker pants, $7. Now, 
Is that because I'm a preacher? No. But I do things because my Heavenly Father is just watching out for me. Dwayne, you got it all together? You know from last week I don't. I already told you I wrestle with this generosity thing, so don't, don't say you're just, you're just blowing your horn. I ain't got no horn to blow. I'm just telling you, he's a good, good father. And we're just loved by him. But I don't think we're ever going to experience what Paul talked about, not what I talked about, but what Paul talked about until we're willing to trust him and have a generous heart. Now, I had the other movie not loaded. uh, Pay, so don't look for it. But the end of the story of the Grinch, you know, he gets up there on the mountain, he's got all the toys and stuff, and they have nothing. He thought Christmas wouldn't come, and Christmas comes, and they all, Yahoo, Dore, Yahoo, Dore, welcome Christmas, Christmas Day. He's going, wait a minute. They don't have any toys. They don't have a Christmas tree. They don't have any beasts. They have nothing to eat. And yet they're still happy. And it says it dawned on him that maybe Christmas was more than the gifts and the toys and everything else. And it's like a light came on. And the, and the sleigh almost goes off the cliff. He reaches down to grab it. And the story ends with saying that that heart that was two sizes too small grew three sizes that day. He had the strength of the Grinch plus ten I'm going to step out on a limb and say, you know what? If we are willing to trust God, I just wonder what he would do. One of the old-time preacher boys, the big boys, you know, from you know, long dead, said the world is yet to see what God could do through one man totally surrendered to him. It may have been D.L. Moody, I don't know. And then he said, by God's grace, I want to be that man. So I want to challenge you. Nan, you did a great job challenging. I like to challenge us. If God, would you help us to be more generous? Trusting you for the outcome. Trusting you. Don't know how it's going to be pulled off. I don't know how we're going to do it. But God, help me to have that generous heart. A heart that you can be trusted with. That I can trust you with. Just let me give my heart to you. And be a generous Christian like you want me to be. Help me to give and give it away. Let's pray. Well, I sure appreciate your patience. I honestly don't know how long I spoke today, but I appreciate your patience. Would you be willing to try this? Would you be willing to trust God with this one? I'm telling you guys, it's the secret sauce. It's the secret sauce for the church and for individuals when we're willing to be generous with what God has entrusted. Not only our giving, but our graces, our forgiveness, our not condemning, our not judging. When we're generous there, he'll pour it back in our laps more than we can hold. So God, I I honestly thank you for the privilege of sharing this today. And I just want to pray that you'll take it and multiply it and seal it into our hearts. God, I do not mind confessing these folks to you and these folks. You know the issues in my life. You know how often I want to hold on to. So this is a prayer for me as well as for us. Lord, in the coming Lottie Moon season, oh, may we go beyond 
what seems logical or normal and simply say, search me, God, and show me the generosity you want me to have. Lord, our busy calendars, Lord, guide us and direct us. Help us be generous with our time. And God, we look forward to hearing the stories of the marvelous things that you do and have done. Father, I thank you for this incredible church. I do. Father, thank you for the secret sauce that flows in our ministries. I know this goal for Lottie Moon sounds almost outrageous, but I won't be surprised when we meet it because of the secret sauce, our generous hearts. Just help us to grow and grow more. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.